I think about leadership is being a servant leader. I believe that my job is really to kind of invert the pyramid, if you will, of how organizations think about hierarchies and think about how I serve my customers and serve my team to make them as effective as they can be. They are the heroes. They're the front line. They're the ones making it happen. And my job is to empower them and clear the roadblocks. And, you know, I I like to think that I work for them. They don't work for me. It should never feel that way. Welcome to Media Sales Confidential, where we get the inside information from some of the world's most respected and innovative leaders. I'm Matt Bartles, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Mr. John Kaplan, Head of Global Partnerships and Chief Revenue Officer at Pinterest. Let's go. Hey, John. Hi, Matt. How are you? Pretty good. Thanks so much for joining. You have been at the forefront of leading some pretty impressive organizations from The Economist to Google to Pinterest. Why did you decide to make a career in media sales? I actually started my career before The Economist in sports sponsorship sales. I transitioned from graduate school to New York to do that. And it was kind of heady times in New York, if you'll remember, in 1999, 2000. So... Backing up to your beginning days, you were a sports management agent for people. You, know, let's, you were let's, never an agent? Let's be honest about what that means. So yes, but I was the lowest guy on the totem pole. <laughs> and I think I I got like the seventh round draft pick of the Jets okay. who wanted a local car dealership. And so I'm down at like, I don't know, Bud Shaw's Chevrolet. And <laughs> it's not exactly the glamorous life that you all kind of envision uh, yeah. on sports agency. I was really kind of working with agents to help them sell and be successful. So I was kind of really beginning in my career. Oh, John Kaplan, the sports agent. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> the not sports agent. The not, so not anymore sports agent. So it sounds like sports played a big part in your life. Who's your favorite athlete of all time? Kind of cliche, but probably Tiger, just because I just loved watching him in majors. Yeah. There's nothing better than when he's in contention and how he operates. Oh, yeah. How he functions as an athlete is just unbelievable. And we forget how dominant he was for so many years. And just watching that was just remarkable. Yeah. What about football? I'm from Cleveland. So I grew up in Cleveland. So I'm a Browns fan. For 17, 18 years, I've been struggling as a long-suffering Browns fan, but uh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel for us right now. But my football passions with the Browns. Favorite football player? Uh, probably, I mean, Bernie Kosar. Come on. Bernie Kosar. <laughs> Bernie Let's go Kozar. back to the cardiac kids. Cardiac kids of the 1980s or, uh, or Bernie Kosar in late 80s, early 90s. That was the worst Dick Engberg I've ever had. But So you had to be what? a teenager for the drive or is yep. it the fumble? Well, what was it like for you? Where were you? What was it like? What's the story? I, Matt, I can't really talk about it. <laughs> uh, honestly, like when these things come up, yeah. by the way, add in the shot while you're at it <laughs> with Jordan, I can't keep the TV on when any one of those either documentaries sure. or references to that 
time happened. I just, I can't, I can't relive it. Too much. I get it. I get it. Listen, I'm a Cubs fan, but we did get November 2nd, 2016. The greatest Yeah. Listen, the greatest Wednesday in sports history, November 2nd, 2016. That's when the Cubs won the World Series against Cleveland. And I had the opposite reaction to that date. I know. So as I got into the job of doing sponsorship sales, I was approached by the uh, publisher of The Economist because nobody had much experience, I should say, in digital media. So I was as qualified as anybody else at the time to start up this little thing called economist.com. And that was kind of the genesis of my uh, professional career in media is kind of that switch from sports sponsorship to The Economist at a time when it was just a really, again, crazy moment in New York City. So was it startup like? Well, yes, because um, believe it or not, they didn't have a website at the time. And so what they were doing was building the the website, economist.com for the first time. And they were building up the monetization engine and the team that would be selling that concurrently. And so again, nobody had any experience doing digital sales pretty much in the industry. What was the first thing that you thought about doing when you got there? We got nothing. Now we need something. Well, we, we actually started by building out the editorial voice for the online version. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gave us the opportunity to kind of expand what you could do with The Economist in a digital environment. So we did a couple of interesting things. We did city travel guides, which, which was something that wasn't part of the, of the newspaper or the magazine. We did audio at the time. There wasn't video. So we did audio interviews with kind of clubhouse style, if you will, (laughs) thinking about it now with business leaders. And those were also sponsored by, by brands. So it was a lot of fun. We had kind of an opportunity to to build on this, on the strength of that brand, but do some interesting new things. So then how did you transition that into Google? I was called by somebody from Google and I was interested in it, but then I wasn't really sure what this thing was. This was 2003, so really early days. And I got a call from a client who told me that they weren't hitting their goal of airline tickets booked through their campaign on The Economist. And I told them, of course not. I mean, that's not the goal of the campaign. And they, there's no way that that's what you should have expected us right. to be able to do. Because at the time, that's not what the media was designed to do. And they told me that Google was doing it and doing it at enormous scale. And I kind of had that light bulb moment went off when I said, if that's the way the digital media world is going, where it's accountable, it's performance-based, and we're being held accountable to sales, then I got, I better get on board and okay. uh, actually took that call and the rest is history. Okay. And then what happened? Well, I th- you know, the funny thing is I think the story of Google for me was just a, a wonderful one in the sense that we went through kind of many phases of growth through my 12 years there. Okay. You know, it started with search and building up that market and, you know, people forget that that wasn't necessarily a fully developed and mature market in 2003, 2004. And then we bought YouTube in 2006, seven, somewhere in that time frame, And in many ways kind of learned a new skill of ushering in kind of that or being part of a, a team that ushered in that era of digital video. And then we bought DoubleClick a couple of years later. And then we were all learning about enterprise sales, mm-hmm. enterprise technology and programmatic and digital database advertising. And then 
our entire business moved from desktop to mobile. So I, I kind of think of my time at Google as kind of four phases of like just hyper growth and building and learning new things. When Pinterest came along and the, the kind of same opportunity presented itself to take a business that was just north of $100 million of revenue and and had you know north of 100 million users and, and really kind of the raw material to build something from the ground up, I saw that as an opportunity I couldn't pass. So Economist, right? Google, lots of innovation, lots of new things happening. Pinterest, now huge, right? What's the secret to scaling, to growing? Well, it's being passionate about the build. And, you know, what I concluded at the end of my time at Google that I really wanted to be part of that process of building. Okay. And what that means is everything that goes along with scaling a business from defining the priorities for the business and the, the, the really difficult trade-offs that you have to make at every stage of that business, including now. I yeah. mean, just because we're bigger doesn't mean we're not still having those trade-off conversations. So prioritization is hugely important. I'm just being curious about what your customers need and what their feedback is. And that's something that I did in the first 90 days that I was in this job is I talked to as many CMOs and and agency CEOs as I could and heard plenty of both constructive and positive feedback and then really setting the culture, right. Of like who you want to be and what, what that, what that organization stands for and how you want to show up. And that was just super exciting for me to think about all those things as right. I was starting something new, but with the raw materials, yep. you know, of a business that I thought could really scale. So I was, it was kind of blessed in the sense that it was a business on a precipice of, of growth and had all the assets that, that we yeah. could do to build that something. But there's a lot of building that goes along with that. Right. How did you get that skill set? I don't know. I just, I just kind of like it. I like this mindset of, always learning and always being challenged. I like when somebody challenges me Yeah, because I think I kind of rise up at those moments and I'm curious, I'm, I'm really goal oriented. So, you know, I think it's those kind of environments that I thrive in. And that's why when I describe my experience at Google, I really describe the learning moments along that journey. Mm-hmm. And now at Pinterest, I'm learning, you know, equally every single day about what it takes to build a business from the ground up and compete with companies like Google. And so I just think, you know, if you're curious and if you're like to be challenged, if you like learning, then you like fast paced environments. So you talk about prioritization is the key. I know that prioritization can be very difficult because you're wearing a lot of hats right now, right? You're wearing a hat of working with your clients. You're working a hat of strategy, setting the vision, like making sure that execution is happening and making sure you're staying close to the clients, motivating your people, growing the business into new areas, probably tons of new products. How do you decide how to prioritize your time? Like what's, do you think about it in day-to-day increments, week-to-week, quarter-to-quarter? How do you determine where you're going to put your mind share? You know, I would say first is working with our clients and working with the industry. And, you know, that includes a number of top-to-top meetings as well as industry boards and associations that I'm a part of. And I think that's an important component to continue to understand like what the real story is from our clients and to get a a sense of sentiment and feedback. So I think that's one kind of big body of work. I mean, for me, the second big body of work is I'm on the executive leadership team for the company. So we have company 
level topics that we have to debate. For instance, the future of work. Yeah. What are we going to do? Uh, what policies and principles are we going to have around that? Privacy changes. What are we going to do about that as a company? So there's a big body of work that's, you know, setting the direction for the company. I think a third body of work is just working with my team. And that includes both my sales leadership teams and the sales strategies and both the kind of near and longer term revenue opportunities we have, Mm -hmm. as well as, you know, making sure I connect with the team members on the ground. And again, I always like to kind of get the real story of what they're dealing with and how we can help them and what their customers are saying. And then I would just say like cross-functional alignment and clarity and breaking down the roadblocks for our teams with our cross-functional partners is a really, really important part of what I do too. You know, we have a monetization leadership team and we're just like, we're tied at the hip and we're always talking about what's going on in the business and how we can support and help each other. So those are the main ones. And the last one I would say that's kind of a funky one, but it's important to me, which is just thinking time. Yeah. It's just time for me to kind of take a step out of the day to day, out of all these kind of back-to-back meetings and, and actually just do some like deep thinking about the business and whether or not there's opportunities that I'm just not creating enough space for. Sometimes that includes, sometimes it's a solo endeavor. Sometimes that includes somebody that I bring in to help me think through something, but um, that's increasingly becoming an important part of what I do too. Yeah, man. That's, that's one of my favorite things in the world to do is ideation. I love ideation. How have you adapted and what have you learned about this new working environment? Well, we've adapted remarkably well, to be honest. And the productivity of our sales organization, for instance, has been incredible. Teams have really, really adapted and maintained or increased their productivity. And I think it's because we're all in the same sure. in the same condition. And for me personally, I'm commuting, you know, into the New York City. I live in Connecticut. So it's really nice, sure. to be honest, to not have that commute. And <laughs> to spend time with my family and take personal time to take care of myself and things like meditation and and exercise have become important to me as part of a ritual. And I think that's, that's something that's going to maintain. I don't think I'm going to let that up because I think what we've proven through the course of this is you need to take care of yourself as much as, as the business. I don't think I always did that. So I think we'll have a future where that includes the office, but I think it's going to lead to a much more hybrid type of environment and, hopefully get the best of both worlds. And I think, you know, that's a, a really positive outcome, I think, for everybody. How are you thinking about making sure that you're capturing your fair share and more given the, the economic environment? I guess it makes it a little easier given that you've come from hyper growth environments to begin with, but this is getting you more challenging, I would imagine. Well, yes, it's always a challenge to continue to grow at a really, really fast clip as you become bigger and bigger. Although, again, other companies have dealt with this for many years right, and right. have been successful in that journey. But for us, you know, what we see going forward is, as you say, perhaps one of the best economic environments after we get through, you know, this kind of last mile, yep. perhaps one of the best economic environments that we've seen in years. How do you get people up to speed? That's a great question. And, you know, I don't think we've been terribly good at it before, but... Well, it's got to be harder than ever now. 
It is, but I'm really proud of what we've done. You know, first of all, in our hiring, because we're hiring lots and lots of people, we've moved to a skill-based hiring approach, which means that we're looking for the skills and attributes that are required for that job, as opposed to just the background having come from Google or Facebook or Snap or Twitter, because we're not finding enough talent in just those places and, and not enough diverse talent in those places. So we need to be looking at other places to accomplish our goals. So starting point is we're hiring people who have maybe non-traditional backgrounds, maybe not even coming from advertising, but have the skills to be successful in this industry and in this, in this company. And so what had to come along with that skill-based hiring approach is a brand new onboarding approach. And so now we have a four week onboarding approach that takes the majority of their time each week that kind of takes them through the Pinterest onboarding, which is a first week, our product onboarding, which is the second to third week, and then a sales onboarding the third and fourth week. And so this is a much more structured program than ever before, all virtual. And we have pin pals, we call them your friends that we link you up with who will be your point person for, for your onboarding as well as your manager. And so the combination of all of that has been a really successful model for us as we've brought in a lot of new people. So what are the skills that you're looking for? Well, it depends on the role, but you know, if you're looking for sellers, if you sold software, why can't you transition to be able to sell advertising? Sure. Yeah. Right. Still technical in nature. Yeah. Analytical in nature. If we're looking for account managers, you know, again, can we look for people who have analytical skill sets who can understand the concept of ROAS and and how you would take an advertiser's campaign and make adjustments based on that data? So it's pretty straightforward to link like what the skills are that we're looking for to the backgrounds that we can that we can recruit from. Yeah, no, that's great. I've also heard a number of organizations that are backing that up and transitioning away from performance management to competency development. And that's been quite attractive to folks because now you're talking about investing in the individuals versus managing performance. Those are two different mindsets. Yeah, the skills that's required to be successful in that role. You know, yeah. that's the way we think about that. Yeah. And yes, there's a performance management component to that, but it's tied to the the attributes, the skills, and and the outcomes that we expect yep. in that role. Yep. Right. And then we talk about how we can help you get to the level yeah. of great performance in that role and what are the skills and attributes you need in order to keep developing. Yeah. That's exciting. So what excites you about the industry next? Like what's coming next? Well, I mentioned the IND, the mm-hmm. inclusion and diversity focus. I think this is exciting that we're all thinking about this topic, we're rallying around this topic, we're, we're putting plans in place. And again, for us, it's been a meaningful change in how we're hiring. And I think that's yeah. a start. It doesn't address the inclusion piece of sure. this, which is also super important that once we get people into the company, how do we make them successful and how yeah. do we surround them with support to be able to, to really acclimate to the company and, and, and have a long-term career here. So we're thinking about both of those topics concurrently. And um, it's just a really important moment for the industry to rally around. Yep. Separately, I think with all of the, we talked about the, the positive economic environment, right. the excitement and the opportunities that I think will come from that. I think it could be a boon in the second half of the year and into 2022 as a result of that. So that's exciting. 
But I think the third thing is with the privacy changes that may come, it's an important moment to be thinking about what are the experiences that we want to build? Yeah. What are, where can we take the company? Where can we kind of take our product roadmap and and really build on our strength? And I think that's I link to the privacy conversation because it's just a it's a forcing mechanism for us to be thinking about that. And I think it's a really exciting moment for us to kind of think about the next version yeah. of, our, of our products. Well, that is interesting. So I know you're, you're famous for not doing norms anymore, that this isn't about getting back to normal. It's not about the new normal. Nobody cares about normal anymore, right? It's about the rebirth versus resetting. What is the data telling you about what's happening from a consumer behavior perspective? Well, it's this notion of the reopening. What are the opportunities going to be when the economy reopens? And we're seeing it already. Travel is going crazy on Pinterest right now. I think people are going to be making up for lost time for the holiday this year. I think they're going to start planning it earlier than ever and making it bigger than ever. Sure. I just think it's going to be consumer 2.0. Consumer 2.0. People are placing bets on themselves. Outdoors is in. People are planning way in advance, looking forward to it. How does that translate into business? Well, again, if there's lots of activity happening in the economy and people are buying things, yep. are planning trips, are looking to discover new things that they can go do, make, buy, or try, then they're going to do that planning on Pinterest. And so we expect to see the continued growth in planning activity and purchasing activity. Again, one of the big things we've talked about is how do you inspire somebody as they're looking for an idea and getting a kind of spark of inspiration, but then fulfill it by enabling them to be able to buy that thing. Yeah. And that's what our shopping roadmap has been all about. And so I think that's going to be a huge part of of how we're going to see people use Pinterest. All right. What's John Kaplan's leadership mantra? My leadership mantra, not sure I have a mantra, but the way I think about leadership is being a servant leader. I believe that my job is really to kind of invert the pyramid, if you will, of how organizations think about hierarchies and think about how I serve my customers and serve my team to make them as effective as they can be. They are the heroes. They're the front line. They're the ones making it happen. And my job is to empower them and clear the roadblocks. And, you know, I I like to think that I work for them. They don't work for me. Yeah. It should never feel that way. Yeah. And I don't like to think that we have kind of like a tops down type of hierarchical leadership. It's more, how do we serve you to be as effective and successful as you possibly can? Yeah. That's great. For words for the up and coming leaders, what is it that you believe really gets somebody to believe in you? Well, I think you need to have authenticity. You need to demonstrate vulnerability. You need to have empathy mm-hmm. as well. And I would say that's probably the area that I struggle with the most because I'm very goal oriented. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I try to achieve a goal and then I'm moving on and I don't take a moment to have empathy for what it took to achieve that goal and sure. give people the, the positive reinforcement and yep. feedback that they need. Yeah. To feel really excited about continuing to do that work. Yeah. And so that's the thing that I'm working on. But again, just even saying that you have things that you're going to work on, right, yep. is 
I think really important because we all have strengths and areas of weakness. Yep. And at the end of the day, I try to surround myself with people who can complement the things that I'm not as good at. And I ask them to call me out on the things that I need to improve on. Yep. Some people think about leadership <laughs> as like this kind of, I'm the leader, I'm the pushing a tops down approach. And I would encourage everybody to think about it differently is how do you build a bottoms up culture? Yeah, I love it. I love it. All right, John, thanks so much for joining us on Media Sales Confidential. As always, it was great to have you. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Never miss an episode and make sure to share with your friends. Thanks for listening. And that's the inside scoop.